Hello, friends. Welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. thought I would bring up doubt today because I had a, as Goenkaji would say, a doubt storm <laughs> that I was experiencing this week. And... Uh, I thought, man, I haven't talked about doubt in a long time, it seems like. So I thought I would just bring up some stuff over the next couple weeks about doubt. In Buddhism, man, doubt is so important. It's weird to say that. Doubt is so important in the Dharma. In fact, as as you know, or most, most of us know, uh, doubt is one of the five hindrances. And we're so accustomed to hearing the five hindrances that we forget that the five hindrances are considered to be the, at least from the Buddha's point of view, the most important or most significant deterrence of awakening. It's a serious list, right? It's a significant diagram of human consciousness that the Buddha offers this list of five hindrances, craving, aversion, sloth and torpor, restlessness, agitation, worry, and doubt. And doubt is that important to be in that list, that it was considered by the Buddha to be one of the most significant heart-mind qualities or states of consciousness to deter awakening. We don't often think of it in that way. I don't often think of it that way. Um, but it's important to know that it's, it's that significant. It's in one of the most important Buddhist lists, and it's one of the hindrances to awakening. What I find interesting about doubt is that doubt in the Dharma can both be a hindrance and lead to suffering, a contraction of the heart and mind, can be the soil of fear, lack of self-confidence and courage. Doubt can be a very slippery slope and it's subtle. Sometimes doubt can be subtle. But doubt can also be doorway to freedom. The Buddha talks about doubt can also be a positive heart-mind quality. So doubt has this very interesting place in the Dharma that it's on the list of deterrence <laughs> or stumbling blocks to awakening. But within the Dharma, the Buddha also encourages skillful doubt. And knowing the difference between the two can be hugely helpful. One of the reasons that doubt is just so important in the Dharma is that it's so intrinsic to what it is to be human. It is an intrinsic capacity in human consciousness, in human, uh, human awareness, to be skeptical, to be doubtful. And, you know, on the positive end, doubt offers uh, the ability to protect ourselves, right? It protects ourselves. We protect ourselves using doubt. And what it does is it decreases risk. Right? We walk through the world in a world of danger and being skeptical, being doubtful can protect us and decrease the risk of harm. So it's hardwired in for us to have a sense of healthy doubt, healthy skepticism. 
We don't often, I don't think we often think of it in these terms when we're practicing in the Dharma, but I think it's important to start with the reminder that doubt is what the mind is doing when it's scanning the horizon. Doubt is what the mind's doing moment to moment as it's trying to protect ourselves. It's trying to say, is this safe? Hmm, I don't know. I'm going to hesitate. I'm going to be doubtful. I'm going to be distrusting. I'm going to be skeptical. And that part is protective. That part is protective. If you think back, one of the examples I just like to use off the cuff is just doubt in consciousness is really what protects us from eating poisonous plants, right? Just straight up. It's like, doubt is like, huh, I've never seen that berry before. Oh man, there's something about it that just doesn't doesn't sit right. I, maybe I won't eat this one. I'll ask someone else to eat it first and then I'll see what happens and then I'll jump in. That's doubt, right? In the best in the best sense of doubt, it's like, mm, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, it's a little bit different than that other berry, a little pricklier, the leaves look different. I'm just, mm, something about this doesn't look right. So skepticism, we forget. Skepticism, it can be good, right? Skepticism is good. It it invites us to look at our footing, right? And it's not just the footing physically, which is true, but the footing of our heart, right? The footing of our emotions. This relationship mm, doesn't feel so good right now. What's going on here? Or this thing over here, my heart's contracting. I'm feeling a little off, nervous, stressed. There's some discontent. I'm skeptical. And sometimes when we, when we actually translate the doubt hindrance, we say skeptical doubt to highlight the fact that there's some skepticism in there. But in some, in some sense, doubt is required to give us that bad feeling, right? That sense of, mm, not maybe something's not right. So that's good. We want to have that both in life, but we also want to have it in our Dharma practice. We also want to have it in our Dharma practice. And I'll talk about this a little bit in maybe, in maybe in tonight's talk, but we just wanted to start by reminding ourselves that there's something positive about doubt. Now, of course, <laughs> there's a bunch of other things about doubt that can be negative, that can be aversive. One thing that doubt can do is create conscious and unconscious bias in the way we approach the world. We can have a skepticism of something that becomes habitual, but the skepticism isn't based on the fact that the thing is actually truthfully damaging or dangerous to us. So we can create a skepticism and a hesitance towards something and a bias that actually isn't for our own good and we might not know it. So skepticism or skeptical doubt can inadvertently create bias, which then of course is the root of prejudice. And then we end up with these habits where we're distrustful of a person because of who they are, whether it be identity, sexual identity, racial identity, nationality, there's this distrust, right? This skepticism that becomes this habit and we don't think about it and the mind goes to this implicit bias. So doubt and skepticism can also function in a completely negative way that doesn't help us at all long-term or short-term for that matter and can do harm to ourselves and others. Like I said earlier, one of the positive functions of doubt is that it decreases risk, right? It allows us to look at the poisonous plant and say, Man, is it worth it taking a handful of these berries? I don't know. That decreases risk, that skepticism. Now, I think we all know what happens, though, when doubt becomes extreme and we become averse to taking risks, right? When we become averse to being courageous, 
when we become averse to stepping out of our comfort zone, where doubt and skepticism can start leaning into being self-doubt, can lead to a lack of confidence, right? Where we don't want to take a risk, even though taking a risk might be the best thing we can do for ourselves in a positive sense for ourselves and perhaps a positive uh, sense for others. So self-doubt can lead to fear and anxiety, right? And vice versa, but self-doubt can lead to fear and anxiety. So oftentimes, you know what it's like when you doubt yourself. A little bit of self-doubt can be okay because a little bit of self-doubt might lead to you working on a part of yourself or strengthening a part of yourself or adding something to your life, <clears throat> excuse me, in response. But we all know that feeling of not feeling worthy, right? Not feeling lovable, not feeling skilled. That type of self-doubt, when the mind starts ruminating, that can be a dark place. So doubt, the Buddha talks about doubt because he knows doubt is such a strong, powerful, hardwired heart-mind quality that on the one hand can help us practice in the Dharma, but on the other hand, can really quickly lead to a slippery slope of self-deprecation and disinterest. And in the Dharma, it's often known as the practice killer, right? Doubt is often known as the practice killer. Why? Because it can, the mind can ruminate. We can become so skeptical. We can become so doubtful of whether it's the practice or the teachings or the teacher or ourselves that we just stop practicing. So a lot of people stop practicing, even after they've practiced for years, because they end up in a doubt spiral and they can't pull themselves out. So doubt is a huge, powerful, all-encompassing heart-mind quality, which is why it's in that list of the hindrances. Another thing about doubt I thought I'd mention, which is really relevant if you're living in North America these days, doubt can contribute to conspiratorial thinking. The worry and concern and distrust of truth can turn in on itself and become an inescapable loop in which we end up in a conspiratorial spiral where we don't trust anything, where things become fearful and unsafe, and we don't know where to turn for truth. We don't know where to turn for that sense of security and safety. What starts off as healthy skepticism then turns in on itself and becomes fear can also turn, as we know, to violence. We've seen what happens in the United States with the elections, not wanting to turn this completely into a political discussion, but we need to see where doubt plays a role. Sowing seeds of doubt intentionally in other human beings makes people feel unsafe, makes them feel fearful. When we're in that fearful space of not feeling safe, we tend to arm up to protect ourselves. And sometimes we feel like the best protection is an offense instead of a defense, which is what happened with the election. The doubt that the election was true or real boiled over into a sense of offensive violence, out of fear, out of doubt, out of skepticism. That stuff's for real. Doubt, powerful, how it can transform the heart. Really powerful. Distrust of others based on doubt. Man, it's contagious. And it's hard to pull out of when we don't feel safe, when we're afraid. What is interesting with doubt, 
is that the antidote to doubt, we're not going to go into the antidotes today, but one of the antidotes that the Buddha talks about is community, right? Because the people can help us pull out of our doubt, help us feel safe, help us feel secure, point us back towards truth. So those are the negative ones, right? We've got positive and negative. I wanted to touch on, today we'll talk about the uh, skillful use of doubt, and then next week I'll talk about self-doubt and run you through some exercise, exercises to per, prevent and get out of self-doubt using mindfulness. I wanted to return to the definition of doubt, though, um, because I think it can help us to appreciate the depth and the nuance of how it's used in the Dharma, how it's used in the Dharma. And the general definition of doubt has three qualities. And I'll just read a standard definition since it works in the Dharma, but this is kind of a Wikipedia. I can't remember where I originally got this definition, but it's kind of a, a Google. <laughs> Mr. Google uh, gave this definition. Uncertainty or disbelief. To disbelieve, question, or suspect, or having a lack of confidence in. Uncertainty or disbelief, to question or suspect, or a lack of confidence in. And I love this definition because all three of these qualities that are listed in the definition are expressed in the Dharma, like specifically. And so I'll just kind of unpack this for us so we can kind of see where this nuance is. So the first thing about the definition I think is really important to remember is that doubt is a range of emotion. Oftentimes when we think of doubt, where we just think, oh, I'm skeptical of something, or I doubt that's true. It's very sort of narrow bandwidth, right? Narrow bandwidth, how we think about it and how we express it. But doubt is a gradation of emotion. And this is important when we get to the part on getting out of doubt or getting out of self-doubt, because one of the first things we do with mindfulness is try to notice where on the spectrum of doubt we actually are and to notice the feelings and the level of contraction and the depth of closed offness that occurs when we're really doubtful and fearful about something. So doubt has a range. I would invite you to think of it as a, a deeper emotion than we normally would. And so it has a range, as the definition says, on the mild end, we might call it uncertain. I'm uncertain of something, I don't know. I'm kind of ambivalent, I don't know. Maybe it's positive, maybe it's negative. I'm uncertain. That would be the lighter, that would be like, like decaf doubt, like on the low end, it's just like, eh, I don't know. Then you've got full-blown doubt, which is disbelief. The heart disbelieves something, right? That's when we're saying, I really doubt or distrust or even fear something. So doubt has this range, right? And we can notice the range in the four foundations of mindfulness. We can use mindfulness to notice how far down are we in the doubt spiral. And if we can catch it at the beginning, when there's a little bit more ambivalence and when it's sort of on the lighter side of uncertainty before it gets full blown, before the mind has ruminated, before we've gone down that spiral, if we can catch it early, that's one of the keys to getting over doubt is that it, it spirals into this really deep part. So it's good to know there's two ends of the pool, shallow end, deep end, knowing where we are is something that we, we're gonna work on. The other thing about the definition is that doubt refers to being questioning and suspecting, which, which is essentially healthy questioning. You're curious about something. 
You're skeptical, but in a positive way. It's healthy questioning, and it's the type of healthy questioning you see in learning something new. And I'm going to talk about this in a bit and, and kind of unpack it. But that's the other thing we forget when we talk about doubt as a hindrance. Yes, it's a hindrance, but doubt is also the cure is part of curiosity, right? Doubt is a part of asking questions in the Dharma and wondering about truth and being curious about enlightenment and being skeptical when your Dharma teacher says something like that's healthy questioning. So skepticism is a part of doubt, but in a positive way in relationship to learning new things or seeking truth. So that's, those are pretty separate if you think about it in the definition. Okay. And the last part I wanted to point out is that lacking confidence in something, lacking confidence in something. So lacking confidence in something highlights the fact that doubt is relational, right? It's not just an emotion. Doubt is the energy that occurs between you and an object or you and a person or you and yourself right? It's a relationship quality. Doubtful happens in relate. Doubt happens in relationship. When we say I feel doubtful, it's a description of a reactivity. It's not just a mood. So that's another thing that's great about the definition is that in the Dharma, we really look at the hindrances as relational, right? It's our react. They, they're given birth as a consequence of our reaction to something. So doubt can be internal. It can be intrapersonal self-doubt, right? Or interpersonal. I'm doubting something in our friendship. I'm doubting something in the Dharma. I'm doubting a teacher. I'm doubting a community. I'm doubting a political party, so on and so forth. So it's good to remember that when you're feeling doubtful, sometimes we get so overwhelmed by the emotion. One of the ways out is to explore the relatedness. What is it you're relating to? And can you see that it is a consequence of relationship? It's not just a mood that arises in and of itself. So those are the three parts of, the, of, uh, of doubt. And again, I wanted to mention that because the hindrances, we talk about the hindrances so much that sometimes it's easy to forget how deep each one of the hindrances is and how there's many, many, many practices to get out of the hindrances, to manage the hindrances. So I hope that's a take home here is that you see that doubt has a depth to it, a depth of experience, a range, and it's a positive and it's a negative. It's interpersonal, intrapersonal. There's a broad spectrum of experience with what we call I am feeling doubtful. So that's one of the take homes here. So I wanted to dive in a little bit into skillful doubt in relationship to the Dharma. So skillful doubt, as I was talking about a few minutes ago, is about healthy questioning, right? It's about inquiry. So when you think about the enlightenment factors, right? <clears throat> There's two enlightenment factors I wanted to highlight. One is investigation, right? Which sometimes is translated as curiosity or interest. And then you have effort or energy, virya. And those two enlightenment factors apply here because in the Dharma, when we use mindfulness, we're asked to enter into the present moment with a sense of curiosity and energy. But one thing we don't talk about is that you can also have a sense of skepticism or doubt that's totally healthy when those enlightenment factors are present. When you're investigating a sensation on the body, you might ask yourself, wow, is that, is that like anger I'm feeling? No, I'm, there's a little skepticism. Like, no, I don't know that maybe it's sorrow. 
right? There's a little bit of doubt. There's a little bit of healthy skepticism that drives inquiry deeper into the meditation. I'm interested in what's happening here. I'm not confident I know what's being discerned. That's doubt, right? That's healthy, skillful doubt. So bringing this back to tonight's topic, though, a it's just helpful to remember that awakening is a learning process, right? To become awake is a process of learning. We're learning new things. We're abandoning things we thought we knew. <laughs> we're, we're trying to let go of things we learned but aren't working for us anymore or haven't been working us for a while. So when we're in the process of awakening, awakening is a process of growing, learning, and changing. And in the process of growing, learning, and changing, a healthy way to do that is to make sure that we have this touch this little spice of doubt and skepticism as we go through the process. So we don't take the new information on faith or at face value. The Buddha was very much into asking us to think through the experience that we're having in our meditation and not just take it dogmatically as truth, but to doubt it in a healthy way. I like the idea of beginner's mind. Most of us know this idea of beginner's mind, but I'm going to put a little spin on it here for a second and say that a mind that is learning something new, right? A mind that is seeking out truth or wisdom or insight into, into something is a mind that's curious, a mind that's energized, but it's also a mind that's skeptical and doubtful. And the first example that I came up with when I was thinking this through today, because I was trying to think of like, what would be a good example of this? And then there was an obvious one. Okay, let's take the child development example. I think this is a great example. I hope this lands for you. So we all know this, that for children, usually beginning at the age of two or so, children enter this notoriously distinct phase where they ask why all the time, right? They ask why all the time. They are perpetually skeptical and doubtful of everything, right? And let's remember that, that that's, we're so, you know, we were all there once, right? <laughs> Maybe on both sides, but we were all there once where we were trying to figure out the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. We were trying to figure out truth. Like, what is the world about? What am I? What's going on? And how did we do that? We asked the closest person to us a million questions about why the world was the way it was. And if you think about it, what the child is doing, the child asks a question because they're seeking truth. The parent or whoever is answering the question gives them an answer. Now, does the child just accept the truth and thank the parent and go back to playing? No, they ask six other why questions, right? They don't let it slide. You can't just say, a child asks a parent, uh, why are we going to the store? Oh, we need to go grocery shopping. Why do we have to go grocery shopping now? Well, because we need to have dinner. Well, why do we need... And it just goes on and on and on. So you see that when a child's mind is growing and changing, there is this innate skepticism that just keeps going and going and going and going. But that's healthy, right? That's how we gain wisdom. We gain wisdom by inquiring. And if we're not doubtful, right, if there isn't a hint of skepticism, it doesn't push us to that next question. If we just take it at face value, then we stop. There's a stop in the growth. And so it's really helpful just to remember that 
we come from a long line of human beings that love to ask why questions. And we love to take truth and pick it apart to make sure it works for us. And this is exactly what the Buddha is asking us to do in the Dharma. Not take things at face value. Not take our perceptions at face value. To doubt them. To be skeptical. To really ask yourself, am I really perceiving the truth of this present moment? Can I clarify my concentration? Can I clarify my mindfulness? Is my heart as open as it could be? So there's a healthy skepticism and doubt in the inquiry of the Dharma and in mindfulness. And I really like that example. And uh, just a fun fact, I had to look it up because I was curious if there were any ever experiments done on this. And of course there were. So according to Paul Harris, a Harvard-based child psychologist, kids ask approximately 40,000 questions of their caregivers between ages two and five years old. <laughs> so I remember being a real pain in the butt when I was a kid long after five. <laughs> like, man, I just like, I took that, that two to five year old phase and it went into like 14, 15. I was 18 and still <laughs> annoying the crap out of my parents. Because I just have a curious mind. So like no answer was, I was always going to be skeptical. I was always going to be doubtful. Um, so yeah, 40,000 questions later, here we are. So as a reminder, the Buddha was highly encouraging of students to not rely on faith for wisdom. And one of the things that uh, you might take note of is that, you know, we've become accustomed to associate the guru tradition with Buddhism. But the guru tradition, you know, existed in Hinduism. It existed in the yoga and non-dual traditions that preceded the Dharma, at least the formal Dharma. And prior to the Buddha, the most often, this, this is a kind of a stereotype, but, but this is true, that most often gurus were often seen as infallible. They were seen as de deities in a sense, right? That they were enlightened or whatever enlightenment meant to the tradition or lineage and they were infallible and part of the process of enlightenment was subjugating yourself and really humbling yourself to the word of the guru there wouldn't be doubt or skepticism was not part of that relationship you would take it at at face value and the buddha turned that slightly Right. The Buddha turned. It wasn't like there wasn't reverence for the Buddha, obviously, and, and for teachers and that relationship between teacher student and that kind of stuff. But the Buddha really encouraged you to second guess him. And that's a powerful twist in the teaching that he understood doubt so well that he understood that doubt could be a hindrance, but also was required for healthy, skillful wisdom and education and that it was encouraged and that blind faith was discouraged in the relationship. So that's just something to know. So as we move into the last 15 minutes or so of the evening, I wanted to take that idea and just give you some direction for reflection on how you might ask some questions around incorporating doubt into your practice and just kind of a litmus test of, have you thought about it in this way? And maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but how do you incorporate skillful doubt into the meditation practice? The first one is just to be curious. The first one is to ask yourself, do you continue to ask questions about your experience? And remember that the enlightenment factors, energy, curiosity, investigation, 
These are factors of awakening. And are you continuing to delve into the experience? Are you continuing to be curious? Now, oftentimes we can get bored with meditation. So one of the signs that that skillful doubt has decreased is often that you're feeling bored or disinterested in the experience of the meditation or in the material or the teachings. And that happens to everybody. I go through this all the time where I get to a point where I'm feeling like I've plateaued in some way and I'm like, ah, the Dharma's boring. <laughs> I want something else. And so this happens to me all the time because I'm I'm a student. And so as, as a student, you're going to get to points where things seem rote and boring and disinteresting. And that's where doubt becomes a hindrance. We'll talk about that next week. But that's where it moves from skillful to unskillful. But it's important to ask yourself, am I still authentically curious about mindfulness and the experience of mindfulness, right? And if not, that's where we intervene and we start working on how to generate interest and curiosity. But that's the first thing. Am I asking questions? Because if you're asking questions, oftentimes there's a sense of movement, like something has struck you. That's where discernment is really important. Are you actually investigating? And if so, what are you interested in? So keep in mind your level of curiosity, your interest, and your discernment. One of the things I do, <laughs> and this is out of anxiety more than anything, but uh, so again, I'm like just inherently a curious person and my brain just won't shut up most of the time. I'm totally neurotic and, um, but it helps with the Dharma, but you know, it, it, I mean, in some degree it helps, other times it doesn't help at all. But I sort of keep a list of questions I have about the Dharma that I can't seem to resolve for myself. And I sort of keep this list in my notebook, in my, in my Dharma journal, or on, I have other places I keep it, but I do have a list of like things about the Dharma that have been bugging me for years that I can't figure out or I don't understand. And then when teachers come into town who I've never you know, sat with, I'll look at my list. So when there's Q&A, I can ask them and say, look, I've been wondering about this for years. Can you help me understand dot, dot, dot? And so that's one way that I keep my practice alive is that in my journal, I write down questions. And I've noticed that Sometimes something will strike my heart and some skepticism will arise. But then years later, I'm still like, God, I really just don't know if I understand that part of the Dharma. Like, I don't know if I really get that. And so I'll continue to ask like other teachers. I'll look at books. And so that's one way I bring this into being is that in my journal, I'll keep track of like things that I don't don't know or don't understand or would like to know. So there's that. Another part of this is just to make sure you're comfortable second guessing the teachings and your teachers, right? This is really important. One of the reasons I love the Dharma um, is that my teachers have always been really forthcoming in being able to be like, I don't understand this. Like, what is this? Doesn't seem right. It doesn't resonate with me. And I don't know if I've ever had an experience in the Dharma, at least for me, where someone has been like, don't worry about it, just have faith. Now, it doesn't mean a teacher might say, look, you're experiencing it this way practice like this and you'll see it'll start to you reveal itself it's not like there isn't that because sometimes wisdom is just beyond the skill of what we have in the moment but what i love about the dharma is that it welcomes this inquiry that it is in fact a path of self-inquiry and that but with power differentials right we can have this kind of false reverence of teachers so we don't question what they're talking about or we don't feel comfortable bringing questions to them or we just think the dharma is factual in some way. And if the Buddha taught it, well, then of course it's true. And we end up inadvertently putting kind of a religiosity into our experience. But I would definitely invite you to 
normalize the experience of second guessing as you're learning. So, and I'll just be fully transparent. This is how I experience the Dharma still to this day. I'll be listening to a Dharma talk by a teacher. Um, I'm listening to it and I'm like, okay, the information's coming through and I'm like, oh yeah, that's really interesting. Or that really resonates with me or, oh right, this other, Sharon Salzberg said this and Jack Kornfield said that. And it's all lining up with I, what I think the Dharma to be. And then the teacher says something and I'm like, what? I'm like that. I don't, what is that? Like something just hiccups in my consciousness. And that to me is totally like, I enjoy that moment. I enjoy that moment where it's like, oh, I didn't know that. Like that doesn't land for some reason. And so that moment of doubt, I've learned to cultivate that where that's where I direct my awareness. Like, oh, well, I want to learn more about that. What is that thing this person is talking about? So you might just check in with yourself, like your own learning style to make sure that when you're reading books and you're learning stuff, that you get that this is your path. You have to internalize it. It has to work for you. It doesn't matter that it worked for the Buddha. Good for him. He's not here anymore. Like, great that he was enlightened. I mean, we can only celebrate that so much. It's like, I'm really happy that he did it. I have reverence for the journey, but like, now it's my turn and I need to figure this out. So like, I need to know how this is going to work for myself. So make sure that when you're that you're self-aware about your learning style when you're getting into the Dharma. Know that there's this wide berth of skepticism and doubt that could be very fruitful. Where in some spiritual traditions, second-guessing stuff is not considered to be okay. Where in the Dharma, it really is just completely welcomed. If it's being taught, I'm going to use the word right. If it's taught skillfully, I believe that is totally welcomed. Um, and that's my experience too. I doubt people all the time. Another way, just as a side note, that you'll experience this is that there are pretty prominent disparate views of the Dharma, right? There's different lineages that, although there are similarities, there's also really different interpretations of, of the teachings. And so you might end up in situations where you like, you read one book and it tells you one thing, and then you read another book and you're like, well, that just seems completely different. Like, and that can create a tension and a stress. And I've had this experience millions of times, well, not millions, lots of times over the years. And you can watch for those moments. That's an invitation. Take that skeptical doubt and use it as awakening, right? Use it to understand something new. I just, um, about six months ago, or maybe I can't even remember now. Yeah, maybe six months ago. Um, I took two classes back to back and they were on the Saipatana Sutta. And first class, I really liked, really enjoyed it. And then I went into a second class on it. And then the second class was like, really different from the first one. And my experience was that the the two interpretations were <clears throat> were really just too disparate. And I couldn't figure out like, I'm like, this is so confusing to me. Now I'm totally lost again <laughs> on how to translate these things. So I went in thinking, oh, great, I'll get a better understanding of the poly and all. And I left feeling like, oh my God, I'm so confused now. And I don't know what the truth is. Totally normal. That's just the Dharma. You know, you just get back to work, you get back to the cushion and that skeptical doubt is, is totally fine. So I just want to really normalize that ability to have those moments where you're like, I don't even know what the, what the heck is this stuff? Because that's completely healthy. And it just shows that you're still using discernment. You're using that curiosity and you're using mindfulness to, to know something and you're, you're sincere about it. One other thing uh, before we close for the evening. There is a slight, <laughs> there's a slight shadow side to this part of the, of doubt that's skillful. It's kind of in between, 
we've been talking about skillful doubt. And then there's this little, I don't know, this little sliver that's sort of a slippery slope into unskillful doubt. And I wanted to just talk about it for a moment here. And what it is, is this. It's really important in the Dharma to not take everything at face value and to verify it in your consciousness. Because one thing that the Buddha said that's so brilliant and so unique is that he said the truth is not the truth unless you know it's the truth in direct experience of consciousness. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what Buddha said. Until you verify it in your heart and mind, it's not the truth you're seeking. That gives you so much permission. Now, the challenge, though, is this, that the mind is also programmed to disbelieve that which it's not familiar with. <laughs> so here's the problem is that you want to be skeptical, but you also want to remember that the mind also scans the environment and looks for information to confirm what it already thinks it knows. Meaning this, when we come to the Dharma, we often think we have an idea of what enlightenment is. I know I do. It keeps changing, but I always have some idea of what I think it is. And in, especially in the beginning stages of practice, we have these ideas of what we think meditation should be, what we think Dharma should be, what a Sangha should be. And then we go to the Dharma and try to find all the parts that resonate with the stuff we're comfortable with. And everything that doesn't resonate, we tend to get kind of like, oh, I don't know what that is. And we tend to throw it out. So it's a combination of healthy skepticism and verifying truth and being courageous enough to open to new ideas, like really open to new ideas and try things on, even when you're skeptical, to see, to really verify whether it works. So there's this slippery slope where we can go into the Dharma and sort of demand of it that it doesn't challenge us, right? That we go in seeking only the parts of the Dharma that confirm what we think we already know, what makes us comfortable, what makes us safe. And any spiritual journey, if it's really going to be a spiritual journey, is going to be confronting, right? Because you're going to have to let go of old truths. At some point, things you thought were true or things that you thought were real or what you thought was true happiness or what you thought was true community or whatever the case may be, have to be let go of. So it's this real, this is where skillful effort comes in, where the balance between doubt as a energizing force in creative thinking and creative self create in self creation and slipping into doubt as a hindrance, which we'll go into next week. So I'll talk about this more next week when we talk about the unskillful side, but there's a slippery slope and it'll be clearer when we talk about the other side of the slope. But I just wanted to throw that in there because it is something uh, we have to challenge ourselves. We have to challenge ourselves and to embrace stuff that's uh, doesn't land in the beginning just to see and try it on, see if it'll fit. It's like, it's one of those things where you, <laughs> I don't know if this is an appropriate metaphor, but like, I just thought like, it's when you like go buy like a new pair of like some clothes, right? And you pull it off the hanger and you look at it and you're like, that's not going to fit or I'm not going to look good in that. And then you're like, oh, maybe I'll just try it on. And you try it on. You're like, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. That feels all right. That's what I mean. We want to be skeptical, but we do have to try it on on occasion, even if we're skeptical. Otherwise, all we do is take in the information that we already think is true. So that's that's what I mean by that. We got to try something on, even if we're doubtful, without taking it as uh, blind faith. So doubt. Doubt's huge. Doubt is huge. Very strong heart-mind quality. 
Next week, when we uh, reconvene, we're going to be talking about the doubt as a hindrance, but also uh, I really want to go into some strategies around self-doubt. This is a personal hobby of mine, um, to doubt myself. And there's a gradation. Sometimes it's just like, oh, I messed that up. And sometimes it's like it goes into a bad spiral. But like I have a lot of practice doubting myself. So I have... I think I can offer you some strategies on how you might deal, deal with this because when I'm not here dispensing all this amazing wisdom, as soon as the camera goes off, I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if that Dharma talk landed for anybody. Uh, I don't know. Like, oh, I'm not good enough. That's my actual life. Just so you know. <laughs> okay, my friends. Oh, so delightful to see you. As you can tell, um, I've had a better week. I'm feeling better. I've had a couple really good days where my head cleared up. A couple bad days still. Eh. But um, I've had a couple days without COVID headache, and that was kind of really helpful. And I've in this session, I feel better than I have in eight weeks. So, oof, man, it was getting kind of hard there for a while. So thank you for your patience and continuing to come back and to practice with us. I really appreciate your commitment to practice, and um, thanks for your kind attention. For those who have to leave, may you be well. For those who'd like to stay for two or three minutes of meta, we can fall back into this breathing body. Let's take a few long, slow, deep breaths. Filling the body with restful energy. Relax the shoulders, relax the body into the couch or cushion. Just let go again. We might start our meta just by thanking ourselves for the practice of this evening. Our intention to come into community, to grow, to learn, to support each other. That in and of itself is dana. Generosity of presence in Sangha. And we come together, as always, for our own awakening. But our sights are set higher, that our awakening will be a force for good in the world, that our transformation will touch other hearts and other minds, that the peace we cultivate within will be a peace we can radiate out to all beings. So let's wish all beings to be free from harm. Let's wish all beings to be free from suffering. May all beings be safe.
Let's wish our planet well, our true home here in the universe. Let us know the planet as ourselves. Let's wish that the planet be free from harm. That it might be respected and nurtured and cared for. May all beings in all realms be free from suffering in this lifetime. Be safe and well, my friends. Thank you for the generosity of your presence. I very much appreciate each and every one of you this evening. Thanks so much. We'll continue our journey into doubt next week. Much love. Take care. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.